Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> you know, a couple of weeks ago, Leanne was working on Christmas cards, and some of you probably went through this same kind of experience. And she went down uh, the list of people that we often send cards to and began to note some of the changes in those lives, right? So there were some weddings, so some last names changed, and there were some births, so you add another person onto the address, and there were also some deaths. In fact, there were several of them. In fact, many of you have stood beside a graveside with me over the past year. Someone that you love had passed away, and it was time to bury them. So you've been through that. And so, you know, we just have to recognize that death is an inherent part of life. And as much as we might not want to think about that on the Sunday before Christmas, if our series is all about with us, Jesus, God himself in human form, this is part of the story. And it's not very pleasant, right? I mean, we really don't like to think too much about this. We, we have to know that there are two things that are promised to all of us, and that's birth and death, and what happens between the two may be very different from one person to another. There are some common experiences, but not everybody goes through all of them. There may be a very short time or a very long time, but we're going to do both. And Friday night, we'll think about Jesus' birth, but this morning, I want us to think about the fact that Jesus went through that very human experience of death. And we might sort of wonder, well, why did it have to be that way, right? I mean, if we're talking about this as God, a person who is fully God and fully human, he's God's son, why did he have to die? In fact, is it possible for God's son to go through death? And if he did, why? And what was the meaning of it? What actually changed on that Friday afternoon as Jesus hung on the cross? Was something different after that? Than before. I want us to think about that today, and we're going to do that by looking at a passage that we find in John chapter 19, John's account of Jesus' crucifixion. We pick up in some ways in the middle of the story, Jesus is arrested. John 18, the first part is all about Jesus' trial before really his own people, the, the chief priests try Jesus. They want to get rid of him. He's attracted a lot of attention. He's a threat, and so they want him killed. So they pass him off to the representative of the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, the Roman emperor. And so this man, Pilate, who is the emperor's representative, his governor over Palestine, has Jesus standing before him. And we have this great contrast between Jesus, God's son, and this man who represents what seems to be a lot of power on the face of the earth, Pilate. And Pilate is, even though he's supposed to represent power, is really waffling back and forth. He's uncertain as to what he should do. He, at one point, thinks, well, I need to satisfy the, the people of Israel. It's the time of Passover, the time when there was often violence and uprisings, and let's keep them calm. And if that means sacrificing this guy, Jesus, for all that, for peace, so be it. But then he goes back on the other side and thinks, well... Is there really a reason? Do I have a good charge? Do I have any evidence that would convict this man Jesus? So at one point, he, th he seems ready to uh, release Jesus. And on the other point, he seems ready to execute him. At the beginning of chapter 9, it's as if Pilate's sort of thinking, I, I got to do something. And so he begins the punishment of Jesus. We read this at the beginning of chapter 19. 
Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And if you've ever heard anything about the details of a Roman beating, you know that lots of people died just from the beating. So this itself could have killed Jesus. It was severe. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. So here we have Jesus being tried before this powerful man, being accused of claiming to be king. Of course, no one really understood exactly what Jesus meant when he said that. But they mock him. At least they think that's what they're doing. They take Jesus and they want to play with their prey a little bit. And so they put this crown, it's a crown of thorns and a robe on his back. And it's a, sort of a mocking coronation. But the truth is, in these moments, and we see it pick up throughout this story, that Jesus really is becoming king on this day. The people who do it don't know what they're doing. But God, working in all of this, manipulating the powers of the earth, are showing that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the King. And after that, Jesus is hauled back before Pilate. Pilate probably thought, well, after all he's been through, after the beating, he's going to be humbled and he's going to do what I want him to do. And if he's guilty, he's just going to say it. He's going to own what he has said before. And so Pilate continues the questioning, but Jesus is not ready to answer. And so we pick up in verse 10 where Pilate is getting tired of Jesus. He says, do you realize that, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus, you do recognize who's in charge here, right? It's not you. It's the great power of Rome in me. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The ones who convicted me and wanted me dead are sinners, and now they've handed you over to me, and you think you're in charge. But the truth is, you're not. You're only standing as my judge because God has allowed it. God is at work in all of this for His purposes. And so, Jesus again refuses to give the answer that Pilate asked of Him. So Pilate continues to want to set Jesus free, and he tries to negotiate with the leaders and figure something out. But in the end, it does not happen. Verse 13, when Pilate heard the religious leaders and the people shouting, he said this. He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. So Pilate sets all this up and gives us the scene. And then he says, here is your king. But they shouted back, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Here's the men who are supposed to be leading the Jews of the day. Men who understood what Scripture had to say, understood the prophecies, and they are ready to say, we don't want a man who's a son of David, a son of Solomon on our throne. We want Caesar. That was an abomination to God. And yet, they said just that. So Jesus is standing there, and they are ready for him 
to be killed. Pilate says, you want me to kill your king? Yes. Now, what we find is that the gospel writers don't really tell us a lot about crucifixion. They didn't really need to. If you look through the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they don't tell us a lot about just how horrific it was, how painful it would have been, how for many people it dragged out over hours and days. They don't tell us that because everyone who read these writings originally would have known. I mean, the Romans invented and used crucifixion because of its cruelty. It was used as a way to warn everyone, these are things you don't do. And one of those is to claim yourself as king, because there's only one king, and his name is Caesar. And so they usually performed crucifixions in very public places, along the side of a road as people walked into a city. And so most people in the ancient world, if they had traveled at all, had witnessed a crucifixion because as they walked into a city, they saw a man hanging on a cross, maybe who had been there again for hours or days in the process of dying, or maybe was already dead, their body being desecrated. They knew what a crucifixion was. The gospel writers didn't have to tell them. And so we're just told that Jesus was crucified. But Pilate wants to make a statement in all of that. Verse 19 Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The Roman soldiers have crowned him and robed him and lifted him up, and Pilate has named him the King. But Jesus' accusers don't want that. They don't want Jesus to be called king because they don't want to claim him as king. And so, verse 20, many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, a public place, a warning. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Everyone who passed by knew one of those languages. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. Don't label him our king, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. It's not going to go anywhere. They've tried to bully and push around Pilate, and he's done now. He's not going to change anything. Jesus is labeled the king of the Jews. Jesus hung on the cross <clears throat> until the moment came when he knew it was time, and he was ready to give it all up. Verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been fulfilled or finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And there's a lot there. This wine vinegar was just a cheap drink that was watered down that soldiers usually drank. They gave it to Jesus in fulfillment of prophecy. And then scripture said everything was finished. It was all fulfilled. Jesus spoke those words and lots has been made of that, that statement, it is finished. And what is finished is God's plan is coming together. And Jesus has been proclaimed king and lifted up. And now it is time to fulfill the, the process of being human. And scripture says Jesus gave up his spirit. 
What, what animated, what gave life to his physical body that made him fully human was released. And his body actually, physically died. So yes, Jesus went through what we all are going to go through. Part of the human experience was to die. And Jesus' body is taken down from the cross eventually, and two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus both, who had been following Jesus, Nicodemus sort of secretly, because we know he went to Jesus at night, they take Jesus' body and they buried him in Joseph's tomb. And that seems to be the end of the story. It would be for anyone else. He's been born, he lived, he died. It's over, right? Friday night, we're going to talk about Jesus' birth. Next Sunday, we're going to finish this series. And we're going to think about resurrection because this is not the end of the story. But what do we learn from this part of the story? You know, for me, it's a simple fact that because Jesus had a real human body, he died a real death. This is not something different. This is not that Jesus sort of faded away. It's not that Jesus died and then, you know, maybe he lives on in heaven and that's just it. There's much more to that story. Jesus actually died a physical death, just like we will. And that points us to some important truths. And the first, we, we really grow out of John chapter 20. John tells us this is why he wrote, okay, verse 31. But these, all that's written, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that points us to what all of this really does mean. And first is that in death, Jesus completed the full human experience. Jesus knows the whole gamut of what it means to be human. We've talked about Jesus had physical needs. He slept. We talked about the fact that he had emotion. He wept. We're going to talk about the fact that he was born. Today we talk about the fact that he died. In all of that, he completes what it means to be human and he dignifies the human experience created by God. He did all of those things. And so in this, he fulfills what we are going to face as well. Real, actual, physical death. We can count on the fact that we will be born and we will die. Jesus walked through it. And even in death, Jesus is our example. I mean, hanging on the cross, what does he do? He forgives the people around him. He honors God. He commits his spirit to God. I don't want to die like Jesus did on a cross, but when I die, I want to have the same kind of faith in God and God's plan that Jesus had. He paved the way even in death. And in death, Jesus paved the way for life as well. And we're going to talk about resurrection next Sunday, but we can't talk about resurrection if Jesus didn't actually die. And so this moment had to come. If Jesus was going to offer us eternal life, in fact, everything that Jesus taught and did is confirmed in the resurrection. And if we, if we didn't have this moment of death, we wouldn't have that moment of life. And we wouldn't have life eternal either. And so Jesus' death allows his promises to be fulfilled. In some ways, that's why he could say, it is finished, it is complete, it is full. What needed to happen has happened and prepares us for what will happen. 
And in death, Jesus was proclaimed the king. I mean, what we have in this story is the evil that we've committed, all evil sort of pouring itself out, emptying itself on Jesus. Because the forces of evil believe if they could kill the Son of God, then they've won, right? I mean, if Jesus is dead, if this is God's best plan, God's best hope for not just all humanity, but for all creation, and they kill him, then they won. But what Jesus knew was, yeah, they could kill him, but it would not be over. And because of that, evil is ultimately defeated. And if there is no other power that can win, Jesus is king because God said so. And so, yes, even though the death pangs of evil are still at work in our world, ultimately evil has already been defeated and will be completely defeated in the end because Jesus is king. And so today, you know, we're in the middle of the Christmas season and it's all about babies in mangers and sheeps nearby and shepherds around and, and we love that story. And we should. And we're going to celebrate that story on Friday. But Jesus is not just about mangers and going to Bethlehem. Jesus is also about Roman soldiers and beatings and crowns of thorn. We can't have one without the other. And so it's good for us, even at Christmas, to remember that the beginning of the story always pointed forward. And it's ugly, and it's painful, and we'd just as soon not think about it. But it's only because Jesus was willing to take on the power of death itself that in the end, his final words could be, it is finished. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that the story is not only about babies being born. It is also about a man who died, who actually endured death for us. God, we're thankful that you, that Christ was willing to come and be with us, fully with us, to be born, to live, and to die. And in that, our human experience to be validated and for us to be offered eternal life. God, we praise you for that. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.